to free beers and a movie. Nice. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of Free Beers and a Movie. I'm Richard Laird and tonight I'm with... Barry O'Neill. And we're doing this via telephone again, Barry, because life gets in the way. Yes, tragically life does get in the way. Life has been getting in the way. Very annoyingly for pretty much the whole month. I think we've only been one time we've been in the Raven in the past like sort of month or so, which is beginning to annoy me a little bit. Um, but I'm, I'm probably annoyed the Raven. I'm going to start having to put up the for sale sign at this rate. That is true. Yeah, it's back. Ninth of January was the last time we we're in the Raven. That's that's nuts. So um, yeah, we need to get we need to get back there, and we will get back there at some point soon. Um, the Christmas decorations were still up at that point. I think they were. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, what are you drinking tonight? I am um, right now. I'm currently drinking uh, the brewing company is called Harveston, oh. and. The beer tonight is, oh, let's see how we pronounce it, Shauhalen. Nice. I think that's how you pronounce yeah. it. But, uh, first time trying it, it was recommended to me by one of my work colleagues because they knew I had uh, tried one of the other ones, the Rich it's called, the yep. other one I tried. And this is absolutely fucking delicious. Yeah, I think they're Scottish, aren't they? Yeah. What's that, sorry? I think they're a Scottish brewery, aren't they? Yeah, Harveston. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're Scottish ones. I might, I'm sure the the Raven had a few of their things on in the past that they've quite yes. they've quite enjoyed. Um, but no, they're they're, they're uh, nice. Like I, you said, very I, smooth. I, sorry, but I uh, yeah, not the you know not the most potent of the craft beers out there. It's no. only four point eight, but the trade off is is absolutely delicious. I can definitely see me drinking a lot of this in the summertime. Aye, exactly. We get that sun back. I think that is always yeah. a trade off with any craft beer. The stronger it is, the less you can have. So you can only really have like one or two. Whereas if it's nice, it's maybe down at the four percent mark. You can actually have maybe a good six, seven, eight of them and still feel okay, and you can still enjoy them and not feel sick. Train wreck regularly. No, <laughs> exactly. I don't know what I had many moons ago, but when I was out, it did have bourbon in the title. Right. So I knew what I was getting myself into, but it ended up being it was a craft beer that had that came with a shot of bourbon already in it. That sounds horrendous. That sounds like it's going to kill you. Jesus Christ! It, yeah. I, it only came in a very very small glass, and I only drank half of that small glass. And I'm not joking, I was pretty much on the floor. I was like, this is like rocket fuel. I'm like, Jesus Christ. I remember I used to drink at one point a couple of years ago, I was drinking that, that um, Jeremiah Weed stuff, remember? Like the sour mash stuff? Yeah, yeah. And it was the same. It, like, it came in these like, sort of like glasses that looked like sort of like moonshine glasses. And it was, I felt it was, it went down so easily, but it was so strong. Like, if you have like maybe four or five of them, you were literally crawling to it. just it felt like it went straight to your legs. Like, it didn't affect your head, but your legs were absolutely buggered by it. <laughs> yeah, not good, not good. Um, I am still off the booze right now, so I am drinking Diet Pepsi, because okay. I couldn't find any cola, um, so yes, I'm on the Diet Pepsi. Um, maybe back on the booze soon. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, that was, was going to be my follow-up question. When is Richard returning to the, the booze? I had a beer during the Super Bowl, I enjoyed that, but no, I'll probably get back on it, maybe towards March. Yeah, yeah. More, it's more, it's more a financial thing right now, to be honest. Um, literally, <laughs> can't can't afford to drink beer this now, so, uh, <laughs> which, which is annoying. Um, what have you been watching at home, Barry? I have been watching, and I've just started it. It's the conversations with a killer, the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix. Um, I've only three episodes into it. Now, oh, I don't know how many episodes. Uh, but so far, so good. I'm actually I've. 
I've been enjoying it. I've been loving the the first two episodes. The first two episodes really span like how we get started and how he came to be the crazy murderer that he is. Yeah. And yeah, it really just builds on that. And then you just it's just it's interesting because he's done you can see he's a very switched on guy. Aye, that's the thing. He's always a very smart man. Well, very charismatic yeah. man in many ways. Yeah, he was going to like college or uni to to become a lawyer. So, mm. and then he ended up getting a job as a either like a volunteer or whatever it was in a police office. And right. this is when he learned that neighbouring states and counties and all that don't actually didn't actually talk to each other back right. in the day. So. He was just pretty much running around. Like he would kill a few women in one place, go to another place, kill a few women there, and then the the two counties or states would talk to each other mm. and think it was the same person. So this is how we managed to drag it on for so long. So what does this did this show teach you anything that you didn't know about Bundy in the first place? Um Well, my knowledge of Bundy was very uh, very light. I had known about him from previous podcasts and stuff like that, but this this is quite good. I don't know if maybe someone that knows like the whole story knows it really well will get anything new from right. it. But if you've just got like a passing knowledge of him, you'll certainly you'll definitely enjoy it because it's really well done. Mm. Like I know I know we always say that a lot of Netflix stuff is definitely hit and miss mm. but this is a, this is one of those programs they've done it right and it's only four episodes so right. I'm halfway through so um, yeah it's good I'm really, I'm really enjoying it and it is playing snippets of the actual tapes of him being interviewed right. um, while he was on death row so you do get to hear the way he talks and all that and he's kind of talking like he's still innocent and all that right. on the tapes and he's talking about Oh well, if this person, like this person, must be going through certain problems, and like just kind of talking in the third person, that's what I'm trying to say. Aye. Talking in the third person on the tapes and stuff like that, and they're just like, this case fucking nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a sense because, like, obviously this documentary has been huge um, on Netflix, and also Netflix just recently bought the rights to the new Ted Bundy film, um, okay. where, where Zac Efron is playing Ted Bundy. Um, oh, okay. I, can't, I can't remember the name of it. I have to check the name of it, but. Is there a sense that are they trying to almost like sort of make him into sort of a, some sort of cult hero almost? You know, same. You know, are they trying to like sort of humanize him too much when he essentially he is a monster? He's, he's not. He, there's, there's no like flip side to go. Oh, maybe he's some sort of hero. He is a monster of the highest order, isn't he? You know, there's no. Yeah, he done some pretty brutal things. There's no denying it. Like you can't just say he murdered a couple of people. Like yeah. he literally went on the rampage yeah. and come in different places and all that. Um, yeah, I really don't know what Netflix is doing. What I didn't like was the fact that um, a week or two ago, whenever this was released, because uh, it's always I'm a bit late to the party, yeah. was that Netflix had to put out a tweet telling people to stop uh, like fantasizing about Ted Bundy and Aye, stop, tag, to stop tagging Netflix in their tweets and all that Aye. and I'm like, this is just getting weird and creepy now that's, Netflix has to 
that's my issue, particularly for like not just Netflix, but these like all these true crime podcasts and documentaries that people became have really became. And I'm guilty of it as well. I listen to a lot of them as well. People became yes. obsessed about that they're turning murderers into sort of folk heroes, almost like the idea, you know they're turning them into sort of like these like figures of, you know, almost like the ultimate reality star, the person who takes like reality TV just that step further that we all want it to, that everyone seems to want it to happen with. And I just I just worry that the like all this stuff's gonna just like, people 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 are gonna forget. That because Ted Bundy was a good-looking guy and charismatic, that they're gonna forget. Like you know, no, he killed fucking hundreds of people. You know, well, tens of hundreds, tens of people. You know, he he was a, an absolute. He was a psychopath. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Is uh, I'm curious to find out how they wrap it up in two episodes because the way the second episode finishes is it's pretty much. The end of his kind of killing spree, the police already know who he is, yeah. and they've arrested him, and it's, I think episode three is going to pretty much kick off with him in court for the first time, or the first couple of times, right. I think that's where it's going to kick off, so it's going to have to wrap it up pretty quickly, you know? How long is um, each episode? About an hour. So about talk, an yeah, hour, so 45, 45 to an hour. Yeah, so, so about four hours worth of documentary time. Aye, um, aye. which I think for Netflix stuff is perfect they yeah. don't need to trundle on documentaries for Shopping centre, 
and they're trying to fend them off. You've got to try and do something different with it to make it stand out. Um, and this one didn't always hit the mark, I would, I would say. Um, at times it did get a little bit sort of, I would say, dull, unfortunately. Um, and you did find yourself kind of checking the watch and seeing where it was, you know, wondering how long it's got to go and where the film's going to go. But as a, an attempt to be an interesting zombie movie, I'd, I'd give it full full credit. It was it was trying to do something different, and that's got to be applauded. Nice. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll take that you all right? Uh, I'll definitely give that a wee check out. Nice one. Um, so, that's us for home viewing just now, so we'll look on to the movie viewing thing. I've seen a lot of stuff. You've only really seen one thing this week, haven't you? Yeah, that's correct. It's only been it's been a quick, quick week for myself. Quick week so. for yourself. Um, but we'll start with the one that you've seen, um, and that is Green Book, um, yep. directed by Peter Farley, who is the guy behind Dumb and Dumber. Oh, okay, cool. Kingpin, something about Mary, Three Stooges, and The Perfect Catch. Uh, the one he did. Um, oh, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting resume before he did this one. Um, yeah, essentially, absolutely. the story of this film is Viggo Mortensen plays a sort of your typical New York New Yorker, mm-hmm. um, and he is a driver, and he's got to drive um, Marcella Ali, who is a, a classical pianist. On a concert tour in the Deep South. This is set during 1950s and 60s, isn't it? 50s, 60s, isn't it? Yeah, so it's late 50s and kicks off, and yeah. then into early 60s. Aye. Aye, so they're, he's got driving through the Deep South, you know, and encountering the world as as the Deep South was back in the in, in that time period. And it's the two of them sort of bonding as a friendship, um, and also just Mar- the Marshall Ali character coming to terms with, you know, who he is in the world, because he's sort of stuck between two worlds in many ways for most of the film. He's not really sure how to do Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, it is, and it is also addressed in the movie as well at yeah. one point about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, also in the film, the only other major name in the film is Linda Caladini, who plays Eagle Watson's wife, who I always mm-hmm. like a lot. Um, we'll start with you. What, what do you think of the film? I'm fresh off the press from seeing this, because I've seen it late, late last night, but I've got to admit, I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't think I was going to enjoy it. I really thought, well, I, not that I wasn't going to enjoy it. I just, I didn't know anything about it. It was uh, Stacey's pick, so yeah. I was just like, yeah, cool, whatever. It's on the list for this week. So I went, and then I ended up finding myself just absolutely pure loving this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I don't know if it's just because it's such a simple concept set in a really bad time yeah and, yeah. It's, and it's essentially just two guys becoming friends but unfortunately due to the time period and one of them being of colour it's it just generates this like just bigger bubble and that's what's so captivating about yeah. it you know um, I'm, I'm much the same I genuinely on face value the film I thought it was a really sweet well told touching story that I get again like yourself I get totally swept up in I, I enjoyed seeing these two people become friends and sort of begin to understand each other's world because at the start of the film Morrison is he's pretty racist you know he's he does a thing with the glasses remember at the start when the, the two the two workmen yes. drink out his glasses and he throws them in the bin rather than keep them because he just doesn't you know he doesn't want your anything been touched by a person of colour and you know he, he sort of he isn't an I wouldn't say he's a he's an evil man because he seems to be a product he's a product of his time. I would say is probably the best way to, to put it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so on, on, on Facebook, I, I found it really sweet, really touching. Um, I saw it about a month and a half ago because I saw it in the advanced preview, and I, and it stuck with me. I really enjoyed it, and I was really happy to see all the the kind of the kind of credit it's getting. There is some issues with it that I do have. You know, the idea that well, the 
number one, the performances are all excellent. We've started with the, the really positive stuff. I thought Viggo Mortensen's very good in it. Puts on a bit of weight for the role as well. Looks quite different from Viggo Mortensen as well. Uh-huh. Um, I thought Marshida Ali, I thought his performance was really impressive because he's got a, he's so buttoned up for the whole film. He can't really express too much. You know, he's very sort of, it's very subtle acting. It's, he's, 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 you can see a guy almost like busting to escape the world, like sort of to try and break out from it, but he's got to remain so stoic for all the film. You know, he's, he's got to remain this sort of, this idea of who he should be in order to impress people almost. Um, yes. And he's, and it's so, it's just a reserved performance. If, if Viggo Mortensen's quite a flashy performance, he gets to do the accent and gets to be funny and gets to put on, you know, and gets to put the weight on so it's a transformation. Ali's performance is more sort of he's got to be just remain very calm throughout it all and not essentially rise to the situation. He's got to stay as, as almost as calm and as reserved as possible. And I think that's just it's just an impressive piece of acting, um, as you know, as um, Morrison's sort of bigger acting. Um, the the issue I have got with it, and this is stuff I found out later on, is apparently the entire story is bullshit. Oh, okay. Which is a real shame. It was written mm. by. The, the son of Viggo Mortensen's character. Okay. So apparently this is like a family legend that's been passed down of this, of his dad doing this. And it's all from his dad's point of view. You know, it's him telling the story to his son and he's the son who wrote it all down. But mm. from what the, the family of the, the, the penis has said, that basically this is, it's never happened. It's basically Viggo Mortensen's character was the driver and that was mm. where it ended. There wasn't any sort of great moment of friendship around it. It was just simply he drove him from place to place to place to place to place, um, and because of that, I think you get this the idea that this like, like the white savior complex. You know, like, like it, it's about the idea of like Viggo Mortensen's character being saved. Mm. You know, he learns a lesson in the film. You know, he le- and it's like it's it's not so much about the black character anymore. It's more about the white character in the film. Mm. You know, it, it sort of focuses on him now. You can watch that. You can watch the film and not know that and still completely enjoy it. But knowing that about the film, that it is essentially all bullshit, and there's been a lot of stuff put in it to almost make the white character look better now than than, than he was originally, kind of sullies it a little bit for myself. Oh. Especially because that bit that pops up at the end credits and all that. You're just, now that I know that, I'm a bit like, oh, I was tainted now for that. Aye, a wee bit, and I'm the same. I wish I, and I just wish I didn't know it, but I, did, I now do know it, so it, it, it does reframe the film a little bit for myself yeah you now feel compelled to tell everyone that ever mentioned the green book kind of a wee bit yeah I <laughs> um, must dash your dreams <laughs> a little bit yeah and I'm much and like I said I was saying when I first saw it I was like totally just, this is a lovely well done lovely like, film that really yeah. made me feel good with myself but then we do start thinking about the fact that it is mostly bullshit and the, the, the stuff that has been made up has made the white character look a lot better than, than he probably should be you do feel a little bit like, ah, oh, I wish I did yeah. it. It felt a bit flat at that point. What I will say is it's a massive step up for Farley um, behind the camera, you know, from doing uh-huh. essentially gross-out comedies to doing this. You know, and, and he, oh, did, he did a lot of credit for that, telling a well-done story. Um, but, yeah, just I, I was enjoyed it, but I've enjoyed it less as I've found out more about it. Mm. That's a real shame. That's a real shame, because obviously going by what popped up at the end and stuff, you... You do genuinely believe that this like poor ended up spawning a great relationship yeah. between two guys. Yeah, unfortunately not. Um, out of ten, would you give it? Very quickly before I give my okay. answer. Would this film work 
as a Christmas movie. We got it set at Christmas? Yeah. I go for the point, any film that's set at Christmas, you can class as a Christmas film, so yes, you can use it as a Christmas film, you want to watch it at Christmas time. Cool. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was wondering. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was wondering. <laughs> uh, right out of ten, I'm going to give it... I'm going to give it a solid eight. eight. And it might even be one of my favourite movies of the year. Nice. Um, I did give it an eight originally when I first watched it in my mind, but mm-hmm. I'm downgrading it to a seven. Due to the Hollywood lies. Yes, essentially due to the Hollywood lies. I'm, I'm just bumping it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, like I said, a great film, and I would happily watch it again, probably. Um, and I think if you do go and see it, you always get a nice, joyful watch from it. I, I mean, I would equate it to it's not dissimilar in many ways to the feeling of niceness you have when you come out of Stan and Ollie. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just, a, just a, seeing a friendship, you know. In this case, you've seen a friendship grow as opposed to a friendship end. But still, mm-hmm. you've seen a, still you've seen a friendship on screen and unfold. Um, but definitely worth a watch. Oh, 100%. Um, uh, next up on the list is when we run through some stuff that I've seen that you've not, and you can just, you can, I'm going to try and convince you to go and see some stuff. Um, uh, so, first one is Escape Room. Okay. Um, directed by Adam Robitaille, um, who did Insidious The Last Key, which was the least interesting of these Insidious movies. Um, <laughs> the plot of this film is a bunch of people get given, sort of essentially, an invitation to come to an escape room. And when they get to the escape room, they think it's a game at first, but it turns out it's not a game, it's actually real, and they can die in the escape room if they don't get, if they don't complete certain tasks. Um, and the cast, you've got sort of a cast of people who you don't really recognise, but well, you recognise you don't really know who they are. you get Taylor Russell, who's in Lost in Space, a TV show. Um, Logan Miller from Scout Guide's Apocalypse, which I quite liked. Um, Tyler Labine from Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. And the biggest name, probably the biggest name in the film, is Deborah Ann Wall who is in Daredevil. She plays um, Karen, and also she's in True Blood as well. She's the redhead in True Blood, if you've ever watched that. So this film, it, it's like I said, I wasn't particularly gleaning with the, the description of it, when said, but that's basically the plot. You know, it's, it's people trying to escape an escape room who now know they should die in the escape room. It's kind of yeah. sore for the faint of heart. You know, because it's, it's not gory enough to be one for the gore fans, you know, people always like to see blood and guts and all that kind of fucked up and this stuff, there's not enough of that, but it's not in any way sort of scary or tense enough to satisfy those like myself who are into sort of the tense horror, mm-hmm. um, and it's just, it's not clever enough, you can see everything coming a mile away, Oh God. you know, and, it's, and, and there's nothing you can watch and go like, right, oh, I, like, you know there's five, you know there's six of them going to the building, so you know, but then, and they start, they start the film at the end. So you know that uh, one guy's going to survive, one guy, one guy's going to survive this, and you go like, well, I know he can get out. Everybody else now is fodder, so it's just a matter of like, who dies when they die. You know, and it just it becomes kind of dull. Um, the casts are pretty nondescript. Um, like I said, they barely make an impression. They're not really given enough to do to make an impression. Um, there's a whole kind of backstory. They've all suffered trauma in the past, and they've been like, sort of the, the lone survivor of something, of some something. This guy's trying to figure out the, the final survivor of it. Um, so he's got a wee bit of final destinationiness about it as well. Um, but they don't have enough to do. They don't really make an impression of put beyond screaming a lot. Um, the plot twists are laughable. Like it, 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 makes, it takes a twist at the very end. You go, that's just, you, you could not think of an ending. And just, this is ridiculous. Um, I did laugh more than I expected at the film, but not probably intentionally. Like it probably wasn't they were trying to make laugh. I just I just sort of laughed at the, at the absurdity of most of it. Um, so it's 
it's a pretty average, below average horror. Uh, so no doubt we'll see it on the streaming services soon enough. Yeah, it does. It, oh, it did feel most like a, a, a streaming service, Netflix straight to video type of movie. It didn't really feel like a cinema release, but it's managed to survive the cinema for nearly three weeks, which is I'm really surprised at. And the screen I was at was on a Sunday at like midday and it was pretty busy to be honest so I'm really surprised um, everyone, everyone that's got a cinema card is going well I've seen everything else so I may as well see this it did it, it was a film it was a film I watched to get to another film like it was one of the kind of like you know you need a couple of hours to kill before you get to something else it was that kind of yep. film for me and I think from what I remember most of people came out of the film and we all took the same escalator up and went into the next film. So we all probably had the same we all probably had all the same plan of going to see two films that day and this is the way this is the best way to work it out. Um, so out of ten, a very low four. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh, that's low. Yeah. I think when you were saying about the fact that it's like it doesn't cater for any any of the horror genres, once again it's another horror movie that's got a 15 rating is that's it? what kills horror movies they either have to be proper 18 with like like so Aye. or they have to be a, a 15 and it's kind of toned down a bit but it's more for like a the build up and the suspense Aye. So that, so this feels like it's just fell short of like everything yeah I don't really know why it's a 15 to be honest um, it, mm. it did seem like a 15 movie Um and I felt like if you really go for the 15 rating, at least, you know, just swing for it, you know, throw some blood, throw some guts, you know, do something, you can you can, you can do a lot more with that, but no, I never really went with that. But, happily on the same day, I did go and see a film called Can You Ever Forgive Me, which okay. is directed by Marelle Heller, um, who directed a film called The Diary of a Teenage Girl a few years ago, which I really enjoyed, really, really fun film, well, fun, but also heartbreaking at the same time. Um, the plot of this film is that Melissa McCarthy plays a writer who used to write biographies for like your fading starlets, you know, like your Kathleen Hepburns and all these kind of people. But her books are not selling. She's fallen in hard times, and the only way she can make money is to essentially fake letters from famous stars um, and sell them on to sort of these private collectors. And it's essentially it's a scam that she runs with the help of her friend Richard E. Grant. Um, in order, to, in order to gain money, in order to just basically live in New York, and I think set in the 19, I want to say late 80s, early 90s, around about then. Um, also in the film, you've got Jane Curtin playing her agent, Ben Falcone, Melissa McCarthy's husband, he plays a, a book dealer, and, and Dolly Wells plays the sort of a kind of love interest for Melissa McCarthy. Um, I really dug this film in a big way, I thought it was really well done. They are. I've got to admit, I've got to admit, I did see the trailer and it did actually spike my interest. Yeah. I was, I was kind of hoping to see this one at some point. I think it'll be around for a little bit because happily everyone involved in it's got like Oscar nods and all that kind of stuff. So usually if a film gets Oscar nods, it'll hang around the cinema a little bit longer than it should, um, because it does get well long, longer than you expect. These kind of films normally are like a week, two weeks, and they're done. But things like this, The Favorite, um. A couple of other things will hang around a bit longer because I've got Oscar nods, whereas something like last week's Destroyer, which didn't get any Oscar nods, but it should have done. Because it didn't get Oscar nods, it disappears very quickly because people don't have the, the impetus to go and see it. But this this one did get Oscar nods, so around for a little bit longer. Brilliant performances. You've got Melissa McCarthy playing one of the, probably the most unlikable people you've seen in a long time on screen. She is <laughs> she is you, you don't want to like her. She, she's she's a really hot, like sort of bitter and horrible person who's. 
you can understand why she's alone. You go like, who the hell would want to be around you for more than ten minutes without wanting telling you to fuck off, um, or you or her telling them to fuck off? To be honest, um, but the only person who can really stand on the whole film is Richard D. Grant's character, and he is fantastic. He, you understand why he can get to like her in a way. Like they have these sort of two lost souls just sort of bonding over their their, their own hopelessness. To be honest, um, like I said, very bittersweet throughout the whole film kind of depressing at times as well when you see the two characters and, and where their life is and there's a few scenes you, you really do feel kind of sad that someone would live like this um, but it is also for the most part exceptionally funny the two of them working together are very very funny the, the hard nastiness towards people although it is horrible at times it is also very funny as well um, and also what I really liked about it was that it photographs New York in an interesting way that you've not seen before. It's not going for glory shots of the Statue of Liberty or the Brooklyn Bridge or, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's a very kind of ground level New York story. You know, it's just, it's a neighbourhood in New York and you're living in that neighbourhood. You're not just, you're not making a tourist film, essentially, which I think we see a lot of those kind of films that have the big massive shots of New York that you're kind of used to now. To see New York at a street level is always really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Aye. If they just kind rather than showing you the kind of landscape, if they just hone in right on a couple of streets, and, you know, it's more about the kind of small shops that they're going into. And exactly. And, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what you get these characters. It feels more like if you it feels like a like the way of the like like a, almost like a Bob Dylan album. You know, just they start you know, really sort of you can imagine it really being really when you're watching it, it feels cold and it looks dark but it is definitely New York and it feels like more like the New York that you imagine as opposed to what New York is now and it is sort of so touristy and probably that's our fault we only go to the tourist parts of New York this is sort of almost like the real New York if that makes sense yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, I'm hoping Richard E. Grant wins the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor I think he really deserves it in this film I really enjoyed the performance Melissa McCarthy also I think has got half a shout for Best Actress but I think it will probably go to someone else um, but she's also excellent in it. She's proved herself to be a really good act, like a really great actor. You know, beyond just comedy stuff, she gets when she does stuff. It's like sort of this more real stuff. She's very, very good at it, and she deserves all the plaudits for it as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I do like the fact that she is kind of starting to lean more into these more kind of like um, more serious roles. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm kind of glad that she has. Still, care. she's still there, but she is slowly starting to creep away from the more kind of light-hearted ones. And she's doing, um, she's doing the Bill Murray thing, you know. She's moving, yeah. moving away from the comedy, to, and she maybe go back there and again to do comedy. But for the most part, she's trying to be, be, be an actress, which I, I'll be an actress, yeah. which I think is really good. Um, it does. Because she was, she was starting to go down in my estimations as an actress because she was constantly getting pitched as the fat silly friend is just always there kind of role you know she did a comedy that like i think last year called life of the party where she plays a really sweet version of herself which huh? i actually quite liked i like when she plays a sweeter role seems she plays a seems she plays a nasty comedy role like a horrible friend who's fat and ugly and likes to make rude jokes i don't like that version like i don't think i think that she it doesn't feel real to me when she plays something like she does in like life of the party which admittedly wasn't a great comedy but i actually enjoyed it more than i thought i would I like that version of her, or the version she has when she's in Mike and Molly. I like that version of her. Um, but she does a serious acting, she can do what she wants, because I think she brings real depth to every performance she gives. Um, the only issue I've got with the film is it does feel a little bit Oscar baity. You know, it, 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 it's trying to be an Oscar film. You know, it, it knows 
where it's pitching itself at, which is not a bad thing. I mean, every studio does it. Every studio has these kind of films that are all very Oscar-orientated. Um, mm-hmm. And it feels like these guys knew they were going to get something out of this. Um, but just... I, it can be a negative sometimes. It can sometimes just be a, it's sometimes something that happens to be because a, a film's good and people start think people immediately start talking Oscars about it. But I can definitely see the two of them when they've got the scripts going. Oh shit! This could definitely nail us an Oscar if we if we do this right. Um, but no, I, I like I said, really enjoyed it. Very solid eight out of ten for me. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Do you think it will be a in your top 10 for the later on in the year countdown? I don't know. It's one of those films which I think I'll like at the time. I might just, there'll be other stuff out this year that might bump it out, but it'll definitely it'll be in consideration for best film for myself. Alright, nice, mm. nice. Um, and fi- final film of this week um, is an animated film called How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Um, directed by Dean uh, Dubois, I think his name is, um, who directed the first two parts of How to Train Your Dragon, and also for his brilliance, he's directed Lilo and Stitch as well, which he will definitely go to heaven for. Um, Can I just, I'm just going to drop a bombshell right now and say I have not seen the other two movies. Oh, you're missing out, sir. You, are, you generally are missing, I'm going to say you are generally missing out. Okay, um, cool, right, I'm going to make a point of watching yeah. the other two. There is, you know. The plot of this film is, I'm not going to try and ruin other films for you, but the plot of this film is basically um, Toothless the Dragon and his friend Hiccup are essentially under siege in their home and they've got to try and find somewhere to go in order to save the dragons from getting, you know, being captured and put into servitude and being killed essentially. And it's and it's the two of them sort of growing up and having to, to move on in life. Um, it's a really nice trilogy in fact because the first trilogy sort of like they meet each other as, as almost youngsters and then they go through sort of like the teenage years, this is all, and then this is them becoming like adults, essentially, and sort of growing on and moving on with life. Um, so in the film you've got Jay Baruchel playing Hiccup, if you know him from Goon and things like that, he's doing the voice of um, Hiccup. Um, the girlfriend is played by America Ferrara, you've also got F. Murray Abraham in it, Jonah Hill, Kate Blanchett, so it's, it's, a, it's a very decent um, voice cast. The film itself is a very solid and fitting end to the series. It, it, it wraps everything up quite nicely. Um, maybe not quite as well as I'd hoped it would wrap things up. Um, the the heart of both films and the heart and the, the genuine heart of this film when it is at its best is when you see Toothless the dragon and Hiccup, it's like his friend, together. When the film strays from that, I lose interest. In the film, I, I, I'm not really that bothered with what's happening. It's it's seeing their relationship together is what I find the most interesting. And there's, for the first two films, very rarely are they apart in the film. So you're always seeing them too, and you're seeing them too. Their, again, their friendship and their love for each other growing. In this film, they, they, they spend a good chunk of the film apart from each other. And when that happens, you, you, I found myself really losing interest in it. And it's only when they come back together again that I actually found myself beginning to really be invested in what the film was. Aye. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you. Aye. Yeah. It does make sense if the whole entire series has been built around them too, and then all of a sudden, uh, in the third film, unless it was happening in the, in the second one, that all of a sudden in this one they're spending less time together. So I, can, I totally get it. It's, yeah. I always, I always feel that way with... Um, the Toy Story franchise, I kind of lose interest in it when, like, Woody and Buzz aren't on the screen. That is a couple of other characters that I can tolerate, yeah. but 
when they two aren't in a in a scene, I generally can tune out a bit. I would equate it more to say something like Monsters Inc. Monsters Inc. The heart of Monsters Inc. Mm. is is uh, Mike and Sully together. Um, yes, when they're absolutely. not when they're not together at any point, like in Monster University. Um, then you then you do struggle with it a little bit. You're like, I, I, I like them. I, it's them together that makes me want to watch this film. Um, mm-hmm. The animation in this is fantastic as well. It, it, it looks brilliant. Some of the flying scenes are absolutely wonderful. Um, they should because they actually have a guy called Roger Deakins um, on staff, who is a cinematographer who shot who shoots all the Coen Brothers movies. You know, he makes a oh, Coen right. Brothers, so he's a guy who knows how to make a film look pretty. Um, so some of the flying stuff looks absolutely phenomenal. Animation is spot on, looks great. There is about twenty percent too much plot in the middle of it. If it just trimmed it down, I'd probably enjoy it a lot more. You don't need to give every single B character a, a story, you know. I am with you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can live with it. There's characters who've been in the, who've been in the series the whole way through as sort of comic relief, and I'm totally fine with them. They're, they're good. They're fun. They're, they're happy to be there. You don't need to give them an arc as well. You can you can really the, the, I can't stress too much the the heart of both films has been toothless and hiccup. And when the third film strays from that, it really does. It, it, it loses interest. I mean, you have to keep them two together. I mean, they are together. It is absolutely magical. They are absolutely lovely together. It, it works so, so well. Um, so, out of 10, I'd give it a very... A strong 6.5. Oh, 6.5. Yeah, but I definitely... Give, the, the first one I'd give like a solid 9 to, and the second one I'd probably give a solid 7 or 8 to. So, it is definitely... It's definitely dipped. Yeah. As I was going to ask you... I just didn't want to jump in. Um, is the third movie is this one its last incarnation, or do you think they're gonna try and push it? No, they, they they are quite decisive with the end of it, which I think is good. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Um, so that, that was it. So that is us for this week, dude. Next week, what we've got out is some interesting stuff. We've got Elita Battle Angel. Mm. We'll talk off mic about that. I'm yeah. curious because I have seen the trailer yeah. and I did, I did get excited for it. Okay. So we'll I, I've already seen, I saw it tonight, so I can let you know. Um, you've also got out If Beale Street Could Talk, which I might think might just be an advanced previews, which looks a really lovely kind of love story. Um, you've got Boy Erased, uh, starring Nicole Kidman, which looks very interesting, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, All Is True, which is a Shakespearean sort of Shakespeare biopic almost, which is out. Yeah. Which I, again, Kenneth Branagh, I'm all for Kenneth Branagh. Um, and also Lego Movie 2 is out as well which after watching the first one again last night I'm actually quite excited about because the Lego the Lego Movie I didn't really like Batman Lego I didn't really like the Lego Ninjago thing but the Lego Movie is a genuinely funny well done film so I'm intrigued to see where they go with that um, yeah, I'm, I've, I've got a lot of faith in it and I'm really hoping they don't train wreck it because I'm the same as you yeah. I love the first one yeah. so and much you shouldn't, it should be a complete sort of like weird tie-in piece of shit but it actually works as a great film you know so that's 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 what you're intrigued about um, and also out this week again on advanced preview which is worth seeing i've heard but i've not probably get a chance to see it this week i'll wait to come out on full release is the kid who would be king which is sort of a new telling of the king arthur tale and um, which again looks really well done and really really fun but um i think it's out properly not this week but next week but it is on advanced preview if you want to see it somewhere. I think it's because it's um, school holidays this year, this week, sorry. So there's a few things getting um, getting released a little bit early for the, to try and catch the kids and, and get them to watch them. Uh, um, okay, okay. So that is us, dude. What, where can people find us? Uh, all the usual social media haunts, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and that's at 3 Beals in a Movie. That is us, dude. So now I've been Richard, you've been... 
Bye. And you've been listening to...